you would join me once again in Luke chapter number 21, Luke 21, and we're going to be jumping back into a part two of our sermon from last Sunday. So if you weren't here last Sunday, uh, you're going to have to go back and listen to that. I cannot repeat all of that information. So Luke 21. The problem is I tried to preach everything I wanted to last Sunday, and I found out well, Saturday night I can't do that, so I had to cut it in half, and today it's like I'm going to have to do another thing next Sunday because it's just it's always more than time allows. Luke 21, let's look at verse number 20. It says, And when ye shall see Jerusalem compassed with armies, then know that the desolation thereof is nigh. Then let them which are in Judea flee to the mountains, and let them which are in the midst of it depart out. And let not them that are in the countries enter therein too. For these be the days of vengeance that, and notice what he says here, all things which are written may be fulfilled. Now you need to understand that when he's talking in Luke 21, he's, he's, refer, he's answering actually three questions that are posed when you compare this to Matthew 24. He's, at, he's answering the question, when will Jerusalem be attacked? When will the temple be destroyed? And when is the sign of his second coming? So, He's telling them that the temple will be destroyed, but this is also pointing forward to the tribulation period. And that's why he says all things which are written will be fulfilled. All things that are written were not fulfilled in 70 AD. Does that make sense? So it's beyond that. So uh, verse 23, but woe unto them that are with child and with them that give suck in those days, for there shall be great distress in the land and wrath upon this people. Uh, they shall fall by the edge of the sword, shall be led away captive into all nations. Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles be fulfilled. We know Israel went through all the nations of the world over the last uh, 1900 years from 70 AD up to 18, or, uh, 1948 when they became a nation. But that will also happen again according to Revelation chapter number 12 when the Antichrist comes against the Is nation of Israel. They will once again flee. It says in verse 25, And there shall be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars and upon the earth distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them for fear and looking for those things that are coming on the earth, for the powers of heaven shall be shaken. When you compare that to Revelation 6, people will know the world's coming to an end. P people talk about like, man, it's like hell on earth. They don't even have a clue. When that day comes, people on earth Will, will, their hearts will fail for the level of fear because they know the end is coming. It would be like being on the Titanic. You know you're not going to make it. 27, and then they shall see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. That's Revelation 19. And when these things begin to come to pass, look up, lift up your heads. Your redemption draweth nigh, and he spake them a parable. Behold, the fig tree and all the trees, when they now shoot forth, ye see and know of your own selves that summer is now nigh at hand. So likewise ye, when ye see these things come to pass, know ye the kingdom of God is nigh at hand. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass away till all be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. Then he gives a warning in verse 34. He says, take heed to yourselves, lest at any time your hearts be overcharged, or you get so caught up with the, with the cares of the surfeiting and the drunkenness and the cares of this life so that day comes upon you unawares. You think it's possible some Christians won't 
will be so earthly focused that they will miss the heavenly reality and, and, and be caught unaware. Verse 35, and as a snare it shall come on all them that dwell on the face of the whole earth. Watch ye therefore and pray always that ye may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. Father, we thank you for your word today. I pray that you would help me to preach as you would have me too. There's so much in my heart, Lord, and I pray that you would help me to navigate that according to your Holy Spirit's design. And if anyone today doesn't know Jesus Christ, that today would be the day of salvation. And Father, as Christians, may we understand the days we live, that we might live with wisdom, not caught up in this world and the cares thereof, but to be busy about our Father's business. We ask it in Jesus' name, and God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. Well, seems like 10 years ago, but we were preaching back in Matthew 5 back in those days. Uh, that was about a year ago. Uh, in Matthew 5, Jesus starts his earthly ministry uh, in what was known as the Sermon on the Mount. He ends his ministry preaching on another mountain called the mountain, Mount of Olives. This is known as the Olivet Discourse. It's it's preached in, in Matthew 24, Luke 21, and Mark 13. I'm just going to tell you up front, I will give you more than you'll, you're probably going to be able to process fully today, so we do record these sermons. But um, the benefit is if you're a Bible student, you're going to be able to follow along. But if, you've, if, but if a lot of this is new to you, you're just, you're gonna, you're, it's going to be a little bit heavy to understand all of these things, but I hope that you will be able to uh, hang on. So I'm going to do my best to explain some things that are going on. Uh, today we're going to be preaching on Israel and Islam in the last days. Uh, what you're seeing in the world is not by accident. Uh, th there is a divine purpose for what's going on. The world doesn't understand it, but those who understand the Word of God do. Now, we have a picture. Um, if we get that first picture of the Temple Mount, uh, this is where Jesus is speaking from. Basically, uh, on this side would be the Temple Mount. Uh, it wouldn't be that quite elevated, but that's the same, that's the direction. Uh, and so this, what you see right here is Herod's Temple. In Jesus's day, this was the Temple Mount. Uh, this is the size of 11 soccer fields. I've been up there. Uh, this on the other side over here is the Wailing Wall. These steps is where Peter is, is preached on the day of Pentecost and 3,000 souls were saved. This is the Dome of the Rock. The Muslims have their, one of the most holy sites on top of the Temple Mount. And I can tell you right now, Jesus isn't going to keep that there. So um, this, this chapter is the Olivet Discourse. And, uh, and Jesus is letting us know what's coming in the future. It's an incredible chapter. He gives a future destruction coming upon Jerusalem, the temple, which happened in 70 AD, how they'll be scattered all around the world. And it says until the time of the Gentiles be fulfilled. But the Bible also teaches over and over dozens of passages in the Old Testament that God would bring the Jews back into the promised land. Um, and Jesus Christ uh, and, and is going to come back a second time. And next Sunday, I'm going to preach on the difference between the rapture and the second coming. I'm going to go into Ezekiel's war a little bit more in detail, but we'll mention that today as well. But today we're going to be, we're going to be looking at some of the things that are going on in Israel as well as how, how Islam fits into that picture. But as you look across the world, you are seeing the potential of a worldwide conflict. When people talk about World War III's potential, it's not, it's, it's not like hyperbole. Uh, th that whole region 
is, is like a massive tinderbox. And, 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 and it's like throwing a match in there and, and the thing can just take off in a flame. Um, now, Israel has been the eye of attention of the world. Really, in, in my life, there's been no nation that I know of that, is, that has drawn the attention of the world more than the nation of Israel. And what's so fascinating about that is the state of Ohio is five times, like you could fit five nations the size of Israel in the state of Ohio. And, and Ohio has two million more people than the nation of Israel. I mean, there's 11 million people in, in Ohio, there's 9 million in Israel. Yet the news has dominated by Israel, and why is that? It's because the Messiah, Jesus Christ, was born in Israel, and that is the place where three religions of the world converge, Islam, uh, Judaism, and Christ, Christianity. Now, in 70 AD, just 40 years after the death of Christ, Jesus prophesied the destruction of the Jewish uh, the Jewish temple, as well as Jerusalem by the Romans. That happened just as Jesus said. And, uh, and just as scripture says in the last days, God would bring the Jewish people back into the land. And that happened on May 14th, 1948. God promised to the Jewish people has not failed. It is, he has not done with Israel. They play a central role in the prophecies of Revelation. Uh, the next event on God's timetable is the rapture of the church. First Thessalonians chapter number four, thirteen through eighteen, describe that as well as First Corinthians, First Corinthians fifteen, verse fifty through fifty-eight. It's the calling away of the church. God will rapture the church up, and then there will be a seven-year tribulation period. That's the seventieth week of Daniel that we talked about last Sunday. That last seven years of God's work, and and and, and the uh, there's two purposes for the tribulation: judgment of this world and the redemption of the Jewish people. But you need to understand that tribulation period will be so horrific that Jesus said, according to Matthew 24, 22, except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved, but for the elect's sake, those days should be shortened. So the reason we've paused in our study in Matthew last week and this week is because the events have in incredible implications incredible implications. The Bible taught Israel had to become a nation again. There would be conflict by the surrounding nations uh, led, and we're going to be talking about how that all, all comes to pass, and what we're seeing today, what's going on, could be leading up to Jesus Christ's return because the pieces are so precise in place. Um, so uh, let me just give you a quick review of human history. Um, in the Bible teaches mankind has been on earth for about 6,000 years. Um, you have 4,000 years before Jesus, 2,000 years after Christ. Uh, so 6,000 years ago, God created Adam and Eve. Uh, then 2,000 years later, there was a worldwide flood. 2,000 years later, between B.C. and A.D., Jesus Christ, God's Messiah, came into the world. Now we're 2,000 years later. Uh, God works very precisely. There's, he, he's not, he doesn't just throw numbers out accidentally. So what you find is the Bible says a, a, a thousand years is like a day to the Lord. And so I believe that God has given mankind a, uh, like a one-week time frame, basically. Uh, and so the Bible gives us six days that God worked. On the seventh day, he rested. The next event after the tribulation is what's known as the thousand-year millennial reign of Christ, where God will set his kingdom up for a thousand years, and it will be a time of rest. That's coming into the seventh day. Friends, we are at the end of the sixth day. Jesus was crucified uh, in around 
32 AD. So if you go to 32 AD, you minus out seven years for the tribulation, that lands us in the year 2025. It's about a year and a half away. I don't know if Jesus is coming back in a year and a half. I don't know. The Bible says we don't know the day or the hour, but I'm just saying we are in the season. And the Bible says, take a parable of the fig tree when you see these things coming to pass. There are so many things that have set the world stage for the return of Christ. Daniel 12, 4, that's what he's talking about when he says knowledge will be increased in the last days. People will begin to get it. They'll understand like that makes sense. And so today I want to again pick up where we left off last time. And the first thing I just want to talk about briefly is the, that biblical prophecy validates Christianity and the return of Christ. There's no other religious literature that you find fulfilled prophecy as we do in Christianity. There were 300 prophecies about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ the first time. Wilbur Smith, who has a library of over 25,000 volumes, says this, The Bible is the only volume ever produced by man, a group of men, in which is found a large body of prophecies relating to individual nations, to Israel, to all the people of the earth, to certain cities, and the coming of the one they call the Messiah. He writes, Islam cannot point to any prophecy of the coming of Muhammad uttered hundreds of years before his birth. Neither can the founder of any cult in this country rightly identify any ancient text for telling their appearance. It's only in Christianity. The Old Testament has hundreds of staggering prophecies written between 400 and 1400 years before Jesus was ever born. Peter Stoner, who is the former chairman of the Department of Mathematics and Astronomy at Pasadena City College, chairman of Science and Division and Professor Emeritus of West Mont College, Professor Emeritus of Mathematics and Astronomy at Pasadena City College, shows that the science of probability is ruled out by any one man living down through the centuries and fulfilling prophecies like Jesus has. He says, we find that chance that he says, we, uh, according to the science of probability, we find that chance that any man has lived down to the present time and fulfilled just eight prophecies is one in 10 to the 17th power. That's one, with seven, that's, that's one with 17 zeros behind it. He says, let me give you an illustration. He says, basically, if you took the state of Texas, filled it two feet high with silver dollars, painted one red, blindfolded a guy, said, go in there, you shake it all up, go in there and reach down and just randomly pick up one of those coins. Again, the state of Texas, two feet deep in silver dollars, the chance of him pulling out the red coin would be the same equivalence as one in 10 to the 17th power. Jesus didn't just fulfill eight prophecies, he fulfilled 300 prophecies. And he makes it clear, uh, it can be rationally assumed Jesus was no mere man. He is indeed the Son of God. And so according to the science of probability, Jesus is impossible. For every prophecy in the Old Testament predicting the first coming of Jesus, there are eight on his second coming. There's eight for every one in the Old Testament about his second coming. His coming is mentioned in every New Testament book except for the book of Philemon. Listen, friends, he's coming back. And we know that because he validated it by his first coming. And so the Bible's prophecies validate its trustworthiness. Secondly, let's look at Israel in prophecy, and I believe it points to the Lord's return. 
I mentioned last Sunday that Israel is God's clock for humanity and the nation of Israel. It's not set to America, to Europe, to China, to the Palestinians. It's set to the nation of Israel. And we saw how God fulfilled that prophecy exactly to the week that Christ was crucified. And we are current, when the Jews rejected their Messiah, we went into what the Bible calls the mystery, which is the church age. So we're in between the 69th and 70th week of Daniel. And during these 2,000 years is the church age. But once the church is raptured out, God will turn his attention back to the nation of Israel and fulfill that 70th week. God is not done with the nation of Israel. Now, people are arguing, and you see this on the news and in history, uh, that the Israelites are occupiers. That is absolutely ridiculous at the highest level. You need to understand that land belongs to the Jewish people, and they don't even have all the land that God has promised to give to them. That is, they didn't come into that land just simply in 1948. It was given to them by God 4,000 years ago. God told Abraham in Genesis 12, 7, And the Lord appeared unto Abram and said, Unto thy seed will I give this land. He repeats it in Genesis 15. In Genesis 17, verse 8, listen to what God says. I will give unto thee and to thy seed after thee the land wherein thou art a stranger, all the land of Canaan, for what kind of a possession? So, so, so let me ask you, is, is it still their land, according to God? Listen, every single Old Testament prophet, with the exception of Malachi, repeat the land promise, every single one of them. Even when they were not in the land due to captivity, God still promised them the land. This is a permanent promise by God. And when you get to Ezekiel 36 and 7, God says, I'm going to give you that land, not for your goodness or for your sake. He says, but for my own name's sake. And in Jeremiah 36, he says, if heaven and earth could be dissolved, then that promise to the nation would no longer be in existence. So as long as there is a heaven and an earth, that belongs to the nation of Israel. Now, the Bible says God would scatter the Jews throughout the world. That happened at the end of uh, 70 AD, and he would bring them back into their homeland again. And we've seen that happen. Author Milton Lindbergh said this, without the ex and he's written at length on these subjects of Israel. He said, without the existence of the nation of Israel, we would not be able to say with certainty that we are in the last days. It is that single event more than any other that is the most prominent sign that we are living in the final moments before the coming of Jesus. The Hebrew people have been called God's timepiece of the ages, and I could not agree with him more. Today you're seeing and will continue to see worldwide anti-Semitic spirits rising up against the Jewish people. I mean, if you were to read the news today, seeing the protests around the world, you would think Israel is the one who killed a bunch of babies and burned them and, and decapitated people. On October 7th, Israel was invaded by Hamas, who controls the Gaza Strip. And do we have that second picture of the Gaza Strip again? Just so you, again, you're familiar. This is the nation of Israel. This is the Gaza Strip. It's a, just a little strip of land by the Mediterranean Sea and that borders them in Egypt. By the way, why won't the Egyptians let the Palestinians and Hamas come in? Right? They're not letting them in. I mean, if this was America's border, we would let Hamas in right away. Which, by the way, in the last two weeks, 30 Iranians have been apprehended at the border. 60 Syrians, 2,000 Chinese, 
We have, that's why the FBI is coming out and saying, you need to be on guard. Because when, you've, when they open the border up and just let people infiltrate this nation, what, what amazes me is our leadership of this country is more concerned about the border, of Pac- or, or the border of Ukraine than they are the border of the United States. That, that makes no sense to me at all. Obviously, we don't want Russia coming in and, and, and taking over Ukraine, but why on earth would we allow so many millions invading into our country? It's, it's an incredible thing. Now, in 2005, I just, you just need to know some of this. Israel gave the Gaza Strip to the Palestinian people. They gave them this as a, like a, as, as a way of peace, a place where they could live. But the people, the Palestinian people, voted Hamas into leadership. People today are saying Hamas doesn't represent the majority of the Palestinians there. That is not true. A poll conducted by the Palestinian Center for Public Opinion all the way back in 2014 showed that 88.9% of the Palestinians supported Hamas and other terrorists firing rockets from Gaza into Israel civilians. You need, you need to understand that they're showing their children in their schools, little children, that to kill and, 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 and be against Jewish people. It is the most brainwashed system. People talk about a two-state solution. You need to understand that is not possible. Hamas will not do that. They are not interested in that. Listen to the four main themes of the charter of the, of, of the people of Uh, the Palestinian people under Hamas, the the four main themes of their nation's charter, why they exist, and this is even listed on Wikipedia, which is very liberal. It's destroying Israel and establishing an Islamic theocracy in Palestine is essential. Unrestrained jihad is necessary to achieve this. Thirdly, negotiated resolutions of Jewish and Palestinian claims to the land are unacceptable. Number four, historical anti-Semitic troops uh, that reinforce that reinforce the goal. Their covenant proclaims that Israel will exist until Islam obliterates it and jihad against the Jews is required until judgment day. Compromise over the land is forbidden. The documents promote holy war as uh, divinely ordained. They reject political solutions and call for instilling these views in all of their children. People in America that are protesting don't have a clue what they're doing especially LGBTQ groups, they don't understand if they went there, they would be killed. That's true. <laughs> it, it's, it's an insane thing. Let me, just, let me just quote somebody I'll never quote probably ever again in my life. Sam Harris, who is one of the most outspoken atheists in the world today. Let me just, and he, he takes so much heat, but he's willing just to say the truth about what Islam and the Palestinians do. He said this, He said, the truth is there is an obvious, undeniable, and hugely consequential moral difference between Israel and her enemies. The Israelis are surrounded by people who have explicitly genocidal intentions toward them. The charter of Hamas is explicitly genocidal. It looks forward to a time based on the Koran prophecies when the earth itself will cry out for Jewish blood, where the trees and stones will say, oh, Muslims, there is a Jew hiding behind me. Come and kill him. This is a political document. Can you imagine if we were bordering, say, Canada, and their whole, in their constitution was the annihilation of America? 
And then everybody's like, have peace with them. Well, how can you do that when in their purpose statement is our destruction? He says the discourse in the Muslim world about Jews is utterly shocking. Not only do they deny the Holocaust, but what's even worse is he says they say if the Holocaust, uh, they, they want it to happen, if they could accomplish it. There are children's shows in the Palestinian territories and elsewhere that teach five-year-olds about the glories of martyrdom, about the necessity of killing Jews. Listen, it's not just a Christian preacher saying this. Even atheists get this. The attack on Israel on October 7th by Hamas on Israel killed 1,400 innocent Israelis. They kidnapped 200 others. It was the largest attack on Israel in 50 years, largest attack in any one day since the Holocaust. To give you an idea of ratio... People say, well, 1,400 people. There's 9 million people in Israel. There's 333 million in America. It would be the equivalent is if we had a border nation who in their their constitution said the annihilation of the Americans and and what 1,400 people would feel like in America would be like a city of 50,000 people completely annihilated. That's what it feels like for the Jews. 1,400 people is a lot of people. The October 7th attack by Hamas was so evil. Some people, it's like they don't even understand. They, they decapitated old people. They decapitated children. I don't want to get too graphic. There, there were people who do autopsies over there that they were interviewing. They said, I've never seen anything like this. One man was doing autopsies for 31 years. He said there were children holding one another, burned alive. And we know they were still alive because, in the, and he just broke down weeping. He couldn't even talk about it. They, they, they literally were cutting babies out of their mother's wombs. That's what Hamas was doing. And you have people in America. This is, this is, this is a level of evil that is so demonic. It is satanic at its core. And what blows me away is, is our media in America. <laughs> so Hamas this last week sent out a report that said Israel bombed a hospital. Raise your hand if you heard that report. Raise your hand if you heard a report that Israel was guilty of that. Raise your hand. That, that, that is a complete lie that we've come to learn. Hamas put that report out. The same group that's doing those kind of atrocities, that would be like listening to ISIS. Like, hey, ISIS, do you have anything we could put on? Before we even validate the claims... What they found out later, it was the Islamic jihadists that were shooting over the hospital, that some of the debris did not hit the hospital, it hit the parking lot, and and people died, but it was from their own failed rockets because they make them homemade. The Israelites and the American, uh, the White House also confirmed this, that it was not Israel. And yet CNN, MSNBC, and most all the other major groups were promoting that. What that did was stirred up the world against Israel. I can tell you, it just will continue because this anti-Semitic spirit is from Satan. Satan hates the Jewish people. Just read the Bible and you find from uh, Haman and the Syrians to Babylon with Nebuchadnezzar to the, to the Assyrians to the Romans and uh, Herod to all the way up to uh, Stalin and the Russians to Hitler and the Nazis. Uh, the annihilation of the Jewish people has always been at the center of them. And, and, and what else blows me away is today Israel is surrounded 
by nations that don't recognize its right to exist. Our author uh, Raymond Bennett believes the Arab-Israel conflict can be summarized in one word, the word Islam. He said the advent of the recreated state of Israel in 1948 created the ultimate challenge to the Islamic world. A recreated Israel proves the Bible to be true and the teachings of the Koran to be false. Not only does a recreated Israel thrust a sword through the heart of Islamic belief, but it also adds insult to injury by being recreated in the very center of the Islamic heartland. I'm going to show you a map because who's heard that Israel are the occupiers and they need to give up more land? They need to give up more land. Let me just give you a picture of where Israel is. This green area, Kazakhstan, this is all in Egypt. This is, all in Egypt. This is the uh, Iran, Iraq area. This goes all the way down into Indonesia. This is a map all of the green is Muslim-dominated countries. It's all Muslim-dominated. You know where Israel is? It's got a little piece of land right there you can't even see, but it's yellow. It's about the size of this dot. They are surrounded by Muslim countries that don't believe they have a right to exist. So when people come into your nation who in their charters say, we want to destroy and obliterate you, and you're surrounded with this. Do we have another picture of this? See that little circle? Like all these other nations hate Israel. They don't want them to exist. So you have 9 million people. <laughs> when I was in Israel, I had no understanding of the impact of the Holocaust on the people of there today. None of you do either, I promise you. None of you do. Unless you're a Jew, you would not understand. Until I went there... And I talked to the people and went through the Holocaust Museum, something, it is, it is like walking through a demonic show of what, what happened to the Jewish people. It's, it's the most inhumane thing. How people can do that to other human beings, it's, it's, it's beyond unbelievable. It's unspeak. You can't even repeat it. Hamas is repeating those things. ISIS is repeating those things. What I didn't know back then was everybody... They talk about Holocaust survivors. Everyone over there is a Holocaust survivor. Like everyone. Everyone you talk to has someone that went through the Holocaust. Every one of them. Like you can talk to people today who went, came out of like, you know, D-Day, your grandpa was in that, or they went through something. Every Jew over there you talk to, yeah, my grandfather was in the, you know, extermination camps. Everybody's affected by it. Like there's no one there that's not affected. That's why every Jew from like 18 to 22, have to serve in their army. They have to. There's Jews from America going back because they have to fight to protect their homeland. And, and how, I hope there's not a Christian on American soil that's opposing Israel. If you are, are you siding with all the Muslim countries coming against them? I'm not saying Israel is innocent in everything they've ever done, but I can tell you there's no one in this room today that has nations surrounding them like the nation of Israel, and they have guns pointed at them and would kill them if they had the ability. I praise God that our president's saying, I'm standing beside Israel. We brought our, some of our heavy uh, ships into the Mediterranean. You know why we did that? Because if we didn't do that, uh, we've already been shooting down some missiles from those aircrafts, uh, from, from, from uh, those ships, and praise God for that. And we pray for God's peace in this situation. But I can tell you, uh, these things are, are going on, and it's, it's just only going to escalate. Uh, David Jeremiah says this, 
um, in spite of all the nations that seek Israel's destruction, he says, history records that Israel stands at the graves of all its enemies. I love that. You know, and I, who, who know, who's familiar with the 1967 Six-Day War? Raise your hand. 1967 Six-Day War. So let me, let me talk to you about it for just a moment. So, so Israel, as I showed you on the map, is surrounded. You could pull that map back up, but it's surrounded by Muslim nations that do not recognize its right to exist. The United Arab Republic, they were allied in 1967 with Jordan, Syria, Palestinian guerrillas. They all came down and attacked Israel from the north, the south, and the east. Israel was so outnumbered. The, 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 the Muslims that were coming in, there was 500,000 men compared to 75,000 in Israel. Half a million to 75,000. The Arabs had 5,000 tanks. Israel had 1,000. The Arabs had 900 combat aircraft. Israel had 175. Yet in one of the greatest displays of divine protection on the nation of Israel, in just six days, Israel obliterated all of them. Unbelievable. Supernatural. The Arab nations lost nearly their entire aircraft. There were stories of some planes shooting down 15 aircrafts of the enemies. Unheard of. There were 20,000 Arabs that died, among the Jews, 700. Israel gained uh, territory in Sinai Peninsula, the Golan Heights. They gained the Gaza Strip and the West Bank. According to Encyclopedia Britannica, they record it this way. The Arab countries' losses in the conflict were disastrous. And he goes on and talks about all the details number-wise. But they say the lopsidedness of the defeat demoralized both the Arab public and the political state. This is, this is God's hand on a nation. There's no other explanation for it. Now, you need to understand the Bible teaches in the last days there will be terrible conflict in Israel during the end times. By the way, Israel had to be a nation for that to even happen. Uh, it will, the, the tribulation is called the time of Jacob's trouble, Jeremiah 30, verse 7. The Bible says in the end times there will be a mass return of the Jews into the land of Israel. That's happened. The Antichrist will make a seven-year peace treaty with Israel, according to Daniel 9, 27, Isaiah 28. The temple will be rebuilt in Jerusalem. That's still to come. The Antichrist will break his covenant with Israel in the middle of the seven-year tribulation. Israel will then be invaded. Israel will finally be recognized their Messiah and come to Christ, according to Zechariah 7. As Zechariah 12, verse 10, and uh, Revelation 11, and all Israel will be saved in that time. Now, these events, as we are looking in Luke 21, correspond exactly to the events that launched the tribulation period. Uh, let, let, me just, let me just run through this real quick in Luke 21, uh, some things here. Now, if you're not familiar with what you can do in Revelation 21, is uh, you can write some things in the margin here as I go through. So, if you're, if you're familiar with the four uh, horses of the apocalypse, uh, there's the white horse, the red horse, and then you've got the other two that come along, the uh, different shades that show what kind of uh, judgment's coming. But those are listed here. These, there are six seal judgments uh, that start the tribulation period off. And that's what Jesus is literally spe specifically referring to here in Re Luke chapter number 21. The first thing that Jesus says will happen uh, will be in verse 8. It says, and he said, take heed that you be not deceived. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ. Uh, and the time draweth near, go ye not therefore after them. When you hear of wars and commotions, be not terrified. These things must first come to pass, but the end is not yet. That's the first seal. That's the rider on the white horse. 
uh, and he comes in peace. He's a white horse because he's coming in peace. The second rider comes and he brings war with him. And, and, and that's what verse 9 and 10 says. Uh, you'll hear of wars. Verse 10, nation shall rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. And the second horse that comes in Revelation 6 is a rider with a sword. And he's red and it's a picture of bloodshed. The acceleration of life-threatening events begin to happen in Luke 21, verse 11. The great earthquakes uh, in diverse places, famines, pestilences. That parallels the third and fourth seal in Revelation chapter 6. The third and fourth seal are, are in verse number 11. Then you have the fifth seal in verse number 12. That's the persecution that will come. In Revelation 6, 9, it says, When he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and the testimony which they held. And so that tribulation and persecution against the believers will happen. There will be a worldwide revival of the Jewish people coming to Christ. That's why Revelation 7, you have 144,000 Jews going around preaching the gospel uh, and, and all Israel will be saved, but they will be killed for their faith. And so that just gives you a little idea of what Jesus is talking about here in, in Luke 21. Now in verse 20 down to verse uh, 24, he begins to talk about the Jews and he's tying it in what's going to happen in 70 AD, but that is only a prefigurement of what's going to come during the tribulation period when the greater judgment comes. So in the Bible, it will talk about David, but then the greater David that's to come. The prophecies about things would happen in David's life, but it was looking forward also to the greater David. So the Bible does that often with, with different prophecies. It'll say something that's happening then, but it also prefigures something that's to come. You know, John the Baptist was the Elijah to come, but there's also the Elijah that will come before the second coming of Christ, which I believe is one of the two prophets in Revelation that will precede the Lord's return. Now, much more I could say about that. I will tie some of that back in uh, next Sunday and maybe later in this sermon, but let me, I need to, I need to jump into Islam's role in the end times. And, and I, want, I want to show you this because you need to understand that, that Islam is a, is, a, uh, is, a, is a passionate faith um, that I believe is what the Bible is referring to here specifically uh, in, in much of this area of deception. So the first thing Jesus warned of, as I read there in Luke 21 verse 8, was that he says, take heed that you be not deceived. All these people that are protesting, all these people that are like bowing down to Allah, all these people, they are deceived. They're living in an illusion. They are deceived. For many will come in my name saying, I am Christ. The time draws near. Go not after them. Again, this parallels Revelation 6. Revelation 6, 1 says, I saw when the Lamb opened the seals and heard, as it were, the noise of thunder. One of the four beasts say, come and see. And I saw, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat on him had a bow. But notice there were no arrows, and a crown was given to him, and he went forth conquering to conquer. And how he conquers, and you can compare this to multiple passages, both in the New Testament as well in the book of Daniel and the Old Testament, was he will conquer with peace. He will come saying, peace, peace, but there will be no peace. Now, I want to share with you what I believe the chief deception will be in the last days. There are many false religions in the world, and I believe the one that's rising above them all is the faith that the religion of the Antichrist will be, which is the Islamic faith. Now, understand me, Muslims are not Christians' enemies. They're a mission field. 
We pray for Muslims to get saved. We love them and want to see them come to Christ. They are misled. They are blinded by deception. They need the gospel. We support missionaries with thousands of dollars a month going out and they're preaching to Muslims, reaching Muslims in Egypt and different places around the world. I don't hate Muslims. I have a desire for them to come to Christ. We've seen Muslims get saved in this church. But let me just give you a little bit of history. You need to know this. God's chosen people, the Jews, came from a man named Abraham, the father of the Jewish people. His first, son name, name, his first son's name was Ishmael. He was born by his handmaid named Hagar. His second son was born to Sarah, and his name was Isaac. Isaac uh, had a son named Jacob. Jacob's name was changed to Israel. Israel had 12 sons. They were the 12 tribes of Israel, the Jewish people. His, his first son, Ishmael, became the father of many of the Arab people. Uh, they also would later give birth to the faith of uh, the, the Muslim faith. Islam teaches that Abraham took Hagar and Ishmael to Mecca, and Ishmael is considered the patriarch of Islam. The Muslims believe Abraham was going to offer Ishmael instead of Isaac on the mountain. Now, God had clearly promised in the Old Testament and New Testament it would be through Isaac that God would one day raise up the Messiah, that Isaac was the promised child through who the Messiah would come. But the Muslims believe it's through Ishmael. These are competing faiths at the very point of Abraham. Listen to Genesis 17, verse 19 through 21. Who did God say it would come through? And God said, Sarah, thy wife, shall bear thee a son indeed, and thou shalt call his name Isaac, and I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant with his seed after him. And as for Ishmael, I have heard thee. Behold, I have blessed him, will make him fruitful, and will multiply him exceedingly. Twelve princes shall he begat, and I will make him a great nation. But look at verse 21. God says, but my covenant will I establish with Isaac which Sarah shall bear unto thee at this time in the next year. His covenant was not with Ishmael, it was with Isaac. Now, Islamic eschatology is the teachings in Islam of their end times. Islam is a religion that has become a counterfeit to Christianity. You need to know that Satan has always desired to deceive people, and the best way he does that is get as close to the truth as he can, but then twist the truth. 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen says, No marvel, Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Now, the Muslims believe in a historical man named Jesus, and he plays a critical role in their end-time teachings. Again, their truths are based on a book called the Quran. Uh, it has 119 surahs or chapters in it written by one man named Muhammad in the 7th century. They also base their truths on the Hadith, which is their traditional writings. Now, in Islamic eschatology, there are three men who play a great role in their end-time events. The first man who will come on the scene is a man they call the Mahdi, M-A-H-D-I. They also refer to him as the 12th Imam. Iran's previous president, uh, Muqmad Ahmadinejad, always gives glory to the Mahdi every time he gives a speech. He's waiting, and the nation and the people are waiting for the return of the Mahdi. Ahmadinejad has even called for the reappearance of the 12th Imam from the podium of the United Nations General Assembly. During his speeches, he always praises the Mahdi. The main mission of the Islamic Revolution, or Iran, is to pave the way for the reappearance of the 12th Imam. His purpose in coming is to slaughter all those who do not convert to Islam and worship Allah and to establish an everlasting world kingdom of Islam. 
Uh, he will come with an army carrying black flags. And on those flags, there will be one word, punishment. The Iranian army today carries black flags in anticipation of his return. Even according to Wikipedia, the Hadith reports Muhammad said that the event of the Mahdi would be signaled by the black standard uh, proceeding from Khorasan. And so do we have a picture number five and six? This is a flag that they carry today, uh, and, and you'll see this image. This is the flag that you saw ISIS carrying. This is the flag that they found when Hamas came in and killed the Jews on October 7th. This is the flag that's carried by many uh, of the, those in Iran today. Uh, and, and the next picture gives us the, this is a quotation out of their hadith. It says, armies carrying black flags will come from Khorasan. By the way, Khorasan is in Iran. No power will be able to stop them. And they will finally reach Jerusalem where they will erect their flags. This is based on their Muslim holy books that out of Iran this would come. The Hadith says the black flags will come from Khorasan, which is the most holy city in Iran. What is also interesting, uh, contemporary Islamism and Judy, uh, jihadism have only been carrying these black flags since the mid-1990s. That's why you have only seen this rise up in the last around 25 years or so, because that's, they, they believe they're anticipating the return of their Messiah, their Mahdi. And so... You will also notice that anytime you saw ISIS fighters, they always carried that. Now, according to Islamic teaching, the Mahdi will slaughter the Jews and establish his rule on the Temple Mount. Do you remember that first picture I showed you, the Golden Dome of the Rock? He's going to set his rule up there. What's interesting about that is 2 Thessalonians 2, 3, and 4 tell us that the Antichrist will set himself up there and proclaim himself to be God. That's exactly what Jesus referred to in Matthew 24, 15. He says, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet stand in the most holy place, he said, you need to understand what that means. This is clearly what Jesus the, Paul was referring to, Daniel was referring to, and what the Muslims believe uh, is going to happen. Now, the Mahdi will bring economic prosperity. He will set up a peace treaty with the Jews according to their teachings for seven years. Is that interesting? So the Mahdi is going to come and set a seven-year peace treaty up for seven years with the Jewish people. Their writings also say the Mahdi will come riding on a white horse. Listen to how the Bible, again, Revelation 6, 1, he says, I saw a white horse and he that sat on him had a bow and went forth conquering to conquer. You know, Saddam Hussein painted murals of this Mahdi on white horses all over Baghdad, which by the way, Baghdad is where ancient Babylon's from. Joel Rosenberg, former aide to Benjamin Netanyahu, who has written many books at length on this, he said this, in order to bring about this Islamic Messiah, the Mahdi, the 12th Imam, Islamic leaders need to hasten his coming by destroying little Satan, Israel, and the great Satan, the United States. The leaders actually believe, and this is what you need to understand today, they need to create bloody carnage, the death of millions of people, in order to create the conditions for the Mahdi to bring in peace. 
The Islamic Mahdi will be a messianic figure who is a descendant of Muhammad. He will be unparalleled and unequaled leader. He will come out of a crisis of toil. He will take control of the world, establish a new world order. He will destroy all those who resist him. He will invade many nations. He'll make a seven-year peace treaty with the Jews. He will conquer Israel, massacre the Jews. He will establish an Islamic world headquarters at Jerusalem. He'll rule for seven years, establish Islam as the only religion, and he will come on a white horse with supernatural power. He will be loved by all. If you know anything about the Bible, you know that is the exact definition of the Antichrist to the T. Literally, like every description is exactly to what the Bible says the Antichrist will be. You need to understand that the world contains 1.9 billion Muslims right now, 23.4% of the earth's population, of our 8.1 billion population. After the rapture of the church, a Muslim Messiah would literally rally the world around him. You're seeing that right now. I mean, I mean anybody watching the news recently? 10,000 people took to the streets in protest against Israel and Greece. Muslims have literally taken over the old Roman Empire. 7,000 took to the streets in German, uh, Germany in protest. France ordered no open protest supporting Hamas and the Palestinian cause. <laughs> that resulted in thousands taken to the streets. 5,000 rallied in New York just this last week against Israel as they clashed with police calling for the end of Israel. It's happening all around the world. World religion studies have shown that Islam will be the leading religion. It's, it's growing more than twice as fast as the overall population of the world's growth. Uh, growth. Iran's supreme leader, Ayatollah Ali Khamenei, uh, told the Iranians that he personally met with the 12th Imam and he claimed to be the personal representative of the Mahdi on earth. That's the supreme leader right now of, Israel, of, of Iran. So that's the first person. The second person in Islamic eschatology is Jesus. The Mahdi is not Jesus, but is greater than Jesus. In Islam, Jesus was a man, but he is not God. They do not believe that Jesus died. Rather, they say he went to heaven like Elijah did. You, you need to know Muslims believe in Abraham, Elijah, Daniel, David. They believe in all these guys. But because he did not die, he did not resurrect. Therefore, he didn't pay the price for men's sins. Ahmadinejad said in an interview with NBC's News and Curry, he says, when the Mahdi returns, he says, of course, he will return with Jesus Christ. The two will come back together. Why will Allah send Jesus back? To correct all the Christians who have misunderstood who he really was. They say Jesus will return as a radical Muslim to aid the Mahdi. He will come back holding the wings of two angels who flew him down to meet the gathering of the armies of the Mahdi in the east, the army of the black flags. Their Jesus will come back, pray to the Mahdi, acknowledge him as Lord, he will make a pilgrimage to Mecca, worship Allah, lead all Christians to follow him out of deception into the truth. After he's corrected all the misguided Christians, he'll get married, have children, and die and be buried next to Muhammad. That's why Jesus says in Matthew 24, 24, there shall arise false Christs and false prophets and show great signs and wonders, if it's in so much that if it were possible, they'll deceive the very elect. The deception, friends, will be... And do you think the American Christianity would fall into that deception? I mean, people who can't even get out of bed to come to church, you think they're going to have a clue about any of this? Is it important to be in church on days like this to understand what's going on in the world? 
Muslim literature says when Jesus comes, he will shatter crosses. The destruction of the church is what that's talking about. According to the Islamic Hadith, I quote, The hour uh, will not be established until the Son of Mary, Jesus, descends among you as a just ruler, and he will break the cross. Jesus, along with the Mahdi, according to their teachings, will kill 60 to 80% of the world's population who either do not convert, uh, either they will convert or they will die. And when you read Revelation 6, verse 3 and 4, the rider on the red horse comes forth, and that's exactly what he does. He's going to take peace from the earth and will bring death to the world. He will also kill the Islamic Antichrist. The Bible speaks of the right-hand man of the Antichrist called the false prophet, and he's spoken of in Revelation 13, 16, 19, and 20. Who the Bible refers to as the false prophet is the exact duplicate of who Islam calls Jesus. It's the same person. So who the Bible calls the Antichrist or the beast, they call their Mahdi, their Redeemer who will cleanse the world of injustice, who the Bible calls the false prophet, they call Jesus. It's a complete satanic counterfeit. Now the third person in their eschatology is is one called the Dijol, D-I-J-J-A-L, the Dijol. This is the great deceiver who's coming, who they say will impersonate the true Messiah, Jesus. They know there's one coming who will impersonate Jesus. They say he comes to earth on a mule. He's blind in one of his eyes. He's the Antichrist. This Dijol will say he's Jesus and claim to be God. He will attempt to stop the Mahdi and the true Jesus. But the Muslim Jesus, they say, will kill the Dijol, the counterfeit Christian Jesus. So the Christian Jesus is the Muslim Antichrist. And the Muslim Mahdi is our Antichrist. Their Antichrist is our Jesus. Their literature reads, the army of Satan will be led by a person who will claim to be Jesus Christ. So there will be a battle. The Muslims will, Muslim Jesus will fight the false Jesus and kill him and establish Islam forever. Well, the truth is, the true Jesus will destroy the Antichrist and the false prophet and establish his kingdom forever. Amen. Let me tell you what Revelation 19 says. And I saw the beast, or the Antichrist, slash the Mahdi, and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse on the horse and against his army. And by the way, when Jesus comes back, he comes on a white horse. That's why their Mahdi comes on a white horse. He tries to mimic that. Verse 20, and the beast was taken with him, the false prophet. That's the Mahdi and their false Jesus that wrought miracles before him, which he had deceived them that received the mark of the beast and them that worshipped his image. These both were cast alive into a lake of fire burning with brimstone. You have to ask yourself today, which side do you stand on? Do you stand with the biblical Jesus or uh, are you going to stand with the Muslim Messiah? Now, the Bible clearly prophesies that when Jesus returns, I want you to know this, that he's going to set his feet on the Mount of Olives and come in through the eastern gate into the temple. Zechariah 14 says this, verse 4, And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. Do we have that picture number one once again? Picture number one. I just want you to see this. So this is the Mount of Olives. The eastern gate is right there. Uh, This is the Temple Mount. Now, uh, Muslims know the Bible says uh, about this. And the Bible says that in the last book of the Old Testament that Malachi prophesied that God would send Elijah before the coming of Messiah. So in order to stop that from happening, they built a cemetery outside the eastern gate of the temple. 
I didn't know this until I was in Israel back in 2011. Do we have picture number seven? So here's this. You can see where they blocked that up, the, uh, the, the eastern gate. Uh, this, is a, this is a Muslim cemetery in front of this. Do we have the next picture? See all that? Th- those are, that's a Muslim grave. The next picture. So just to give you an idea. Uh, I, I was shocked to learn that. I was curious when I, because they told me about it over there, and I was like, I've never heard of that in my life. So I, I was like, what does even Wikipedia say about that? Uh, now, listen, on Wikipedia, it says this, the Muslims also built, and I'm quoting from it, a cemetery in the front of the gate to the belief that the precursor to the Messiah, Elijah, would not be able to pass through the golden gate, and thus the Messiah would not come. The belief was based on two premises. First, to a uh, according to Islamic teaching, Elijah is a descendant of Aaron, making him a priest, and that priests were not permitted to enter the cemetery. So if they built a cemetery there, Elijah could not come in, and therefore Jesus would not be able to come. I can tell you, their little grave isn't going to keep the Prince of Life out. God tells us many who come in faith during the tribulation will be killed. Listen, listen. Revelation 6, 9 says this. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God. There's a... a Jewish people will be getting saved, and there will be a slaughter of the Jews during the tribulation. And Revelation 20 tells us specifically how they're killed. Listen to Revelation 20, verse 4. And I saw thrones, and they that sat on them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were, what were they? How were they killed? Let me ask you a question. What's the only religion on the planet that's beheading people? Is there any other religion? Are Buddhists beheading anyone? Do you know of any Christians chopping people's heads off? It's only Islam. You know why they do that? I've read, not the whole Quran, but I've read several portions of it. Listen to what Surah 8, verse 12, chapter 8, verse 12 of their Quran says. Remember thy Lord inspired the angels with the message, I am with you. Give firmness to believers. I will instill terror into the hearts of the unbelievers. Smite ye above their necks and smite off all their fingertips. Their, 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 their teaching is involved with that. Jesus said, many shall come in my name, saying, I'm Christ, and will deceive many. The stage is set for a war called the Ezekiel War. Uh, I wanted to get into that today. I obviously am out of time. Um, this Ezekiel War, uh, you need to know, Ronald Reagan thought it was coming in his day. He spoke about it all the time. President Ronald Reagan. Um, it scared his staff they were like, would you quit talking about these end time things? He's like, man, this is this lining up, man. And you could see it coming to pass. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about a couple of things next week. The coming war and the Ezekiel's war. I'll talk about uh, the difference between the second coming of Christ and the rapture. And do Christians go through that? We're going to culminate with one final message. Um, but this conflict, I'm not saying it's going to be the conflict that ushers the coming of Christ, but uh, the Bible tells us these things are going to happen. And, and I'll get into some more details about that next time. Currently, Hamas fights against Israel. They're, while they're fighting against Israel, there's another radical Muslim group to the north of Israel called Hezbollah. This is another radical Muslim group that's on the north, and, and they're many times stronger than Hamas. Both Hezbollah and Hamas are empowered by Iran. Iran is the one funding them. They're, the, they're, they're proxy wars for Iran. Just this last week, Israel said, if, if Hezbollah gets involved, we're not only going to annihilate Hezbollah, but we're attacking Iran. And what's interesting is Ezekiel 38. So Ezekiel 36 and 7, Israel becomes a nation again at the end of time. 
Ezekiel 38, there's a war led by Persia. And you know what Persia's name was changed to in 1935? The current land known in the nation of Iran. Iran is ancient Persia. And so they're also going to come with, it talks about Russia, it refers to that, I'll, mention, I'll, I'll explain that next week, and all these Arab nations will come down against this. And then you go into a thousand years of millennial reign, and that's like the next ten chapters of the book of Ezekiel. Friends, we are, we are living, I believe, in these last days. You need to be aware of this so that you're not caught up playing video games, watching TV and watching a bunch of short videos, and you have no clue about what the Bible says. And so if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ today, you need to... You need to understand today is the day of salvation. If you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. We are living in, in extremely unusual times. If you were to stand before God, Christian, and he said, are you, would I be pleased with your life? Would I be pleased with your life? Do you have time for this this week? Have you spent time in the word of God? Have you made him a priority? Have, do you have any friends in your life right now that don't know the Lord Jesus Christ that you've never told? Do you have some sin in your life that you're, you're engaging in that you know God would not be pleased with. Today, let it be a day where you say, you know what, let me get serious with the Lord, that whether he comes back in my life or in a thousand years from now, I want to be found faithful when he comes. Amen. I don't want to be found living up and caught up in the things of this world. I want when Jesus comes back that he would find me faithful, loving my wife, loving my children, having told the people in my life about Jesus Christ. I can't save anyone, but I can sure tell them. And friend, if you were to stand before God and he said, why should I let you into heaven? What would you say? Because I can tell you, the Lord's coming back. And if you don't get raptured up with the church, you're going to go through hell on earth like you have never, you could never believe. It will be so horrible. The Bible says men would rather die than live in those days. That's from the words of Jesus Christ. So, so just know today, you are around people that love you, that would support you and care for you. Nobody's going to chop your head off in here, amen? We love you. Uh, maybe you're even, even in a Muslim faith. We would love you today. We would want you to come to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Uh, we're your friend. We love you. And, and so whatever your place is today, make sure you do business with God. Let's all stand this morning. 